This week on Blue 58, we need to take some time to talk about the guys on the Packers who aren't stars. Why should you care about the guys who aren't making headlines? I'll tell you. We'll also take a look at Adrian Peterson's request to come to Green Bay, why he's different than Des Bryant, and talk about Devontae Adams and whether he belongs in the top 50 on the NFL 100. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your very excited host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for episode number 83 of this fine podcast. At least I think it's fine. Fine can mean multiple things. Uh, In some ways we are better than fine. Sometimes I think we are just fine. You know what I mean. Anyway, let's dive right in. Adrian Peterson making some headlines over the past week or so. Not even the past week, just the past couple days saying, you know, if he was going to sign with a team, the Packers might seem like a good fit. It feels like we just had this discussion, didn't we? We spent all last offseason going, will they or won't they? Should they or shouldn't they? The Packers and Adrian Peterson, should we get these two sides together? It just seemed to make sense on some levels. On a lot of other levels, most of the other levels, it really didn't make sense. Adrian Peterson just didn't make a lot of sense for what the Packers like to do on offense, the things they need from their running backs. It just it really wasn't a good matchup. All of those things are still true now, except Peterson is also a year older. But I think we need to talk about this because of how it compares to another similar situation that we've dealt with with this offseason. Des Bryant. Um, We have been part of stoking the rumors of Bryant to Green Bay to the extent that those rumors actually have any merit. I don't think they really do. Uh, I will still say I wouldn't mind seeing it happen, but there are a lot of people who don't want to see that happen, and they don't because I think they equate Adrian Peterson and Des Bryant as being roughly the same. They're both controversial. Uh, for different reasons, and uh, signing either one of them would be controversial for different reasons. But I think there are some key differences between these two guys that don't make those two situations quite the same. And I understand if you still want to reject both of those moves, but I don't think you can paint both of them with the same brush. Here's why. Peterson, on the one hand, needs to be a featured back, a featured player to be a contributor to your team. We saw last year with the Saints that he really can't do anything for you in a complimentary role. A guy who's going to get five to seven carries a game. That's not really what Adrian Peterson does. He's as old school as running backs come in 2018. He needs a lot of carries to get his work done. Bryant, on the other hand, is much easier to slot into the offense in a complimentary role just because of the nature of the wide receiver position. It's a lot easier for receivers to affect the game without the ball in their hands. Bryant, just by virtue of his presence on the field, can affect the way the defense plays, or at least in theory he can. Part of the reason the Cowboys cut him is because they don't think he can do that anymore. But I think you see the difference between the two positions. Wide receivers can affect the game in multiple ways that running backs, at least running backs like Adrian Peterson, probably can't. It also bears mentioning that Peterson is three years older than Bryant and has had two major knee surgeries. Bryant has also been banged up in his career, but his injury past is comparably clean to a running back whose first and foremost duty, as we should know by his very job title, is running. A 33-year-old guy on surgically repaired knees is not really a great investment for reasons that I think should be clear. Thirdly, while both Peterson and Bryant have had their legal issues, 
Peterson is all but unapologetic for the things that he's done. If you listen to him talk about the things that he has had trouble with in his life with the law, it still doesn't seem entirely clear to him why he got in trouble at all, at least to hear him tell it. Bryant has taken steps to reform his image in some areas, though he has had a legal issue as recently as 2016. Finally, fourthly, though they're both aging, Bryant has been more effective more recently than Peterson. Three teams have given up on Adrian Peterson since the start of 2017, the calendar year, not the season. And dating back to 2016, Peterson is averaging a very, very solid 3.1 yards per carry. Though Bryant wasn't up to his standards last season, he was still an effective player, not worth the salary he was collecting in Dallas, to be sure, and that's another reason why they cut him, but still effective. Not what he once was, but still effective. The bottom line is this, though. It's unlikely that the Packers are going to sign either Peterson or Bryant, and that's something that's been clear to us as we've had these discussions, particularly about Des Bryant from the beginning. I would still take Bryant if the Packers choose to offer him a deal. I understand if you don't. But even if neither of them signs with the Packers, we can still have intelligent conversations about them, and it's important to recognize that they are not necessarily the same. Moving along, how do we feel about Devontae Adams clocking at number 45 on the NFL 100? whole concept to me of this list just boggles my mind. Uh, It's weird. I don't think it makes a lot of sense, and it really is only worthwhile in that it generates some controversy. How do you compare a good quarterback to a linebacker uh, or any other position, a wide receiver to a tight end, considering the overlap between those two spots in the modern NFL? You know, you could go throughout the entire list. Why do we never see kickers on the list? Surely some kickers are better at what they do than guys at other positions are at what they do. But you never will see one of them on the list. At least I don't recall seeing any kickers on the list now that I say that there probably have been some. But uh, you, I, you, you see what I'm saying. It's, it's silly because you're never comparing apples to oranges. But let's just talk about Devontae Adams. 45 at first blush seems a little bit high. On the one hand, I'm glad to see Devontae Adams be recognized because I think he's very, very good. I did the entire, is Devontae Adams a true number one receiver piece a couple weeks ago? Obviously, I think so. Yes, he is. Um, For whatever being a true number one receiver means, Devontae Adams is one. But on the other hand, the 45th best player in the NFL in 2017, that means he would qualify as the second best player on most NFL teams. He's good. He's really good, but I, that se- that just seems really high. But on the other hand, the other other hand, we're up to three now. I'm not sure we've ever gotten the full Devontae Adams experience, and that might be a reason to think well, maybe he is uh, upwards of the 45th best player in the NFL. The closest we've really gotten to the full Devontae Adams is 2016, but he still ended up with only 997 receiving yards, and he had four games that season in which he had less than 30 yards. It'll be interesting to see how Adams does this year. His first year as the really unquestioned number one receiver in the uh, in, in the NFL. That, that would be really high in Green Bay. We'll see, I guess, what Devontae Adams is really made of, but I think it seems like 45 is a little bit high. Tell me your thoughts, though. I'll reach out via Twitter or Facebook or wherever you want to. 
And uh, just let me know your thoughts. He's Devontae Adams, the number 45 player in the entire NFL. All right. Main topic for today is something that came up as I was thinking about how to really process this Mercedes Lewis deal. Um, Since we last spoke, the Packers have in fact signed Mercedes Lewis, who I think is a tremendous, tremendous fit for the Packers. They needed an upgrade at that number two tight end spot, and he just happens to give them a very, very good one. But where does he really fit within the overall team landscape? Well, here's how I think we should think about this. Every team needs guys that are somewhere between the stars and the guys that you only see on special teams. The the special teams players, every team's got a few of them. Think about the truly elite players on a given NFL team, though. How many of those are there really? Five or so would be about 10% of your roster. That seems like a pretty good number to me. Then you look at the really, really poor guys on your roster. That's another five or so, probably. It's another 10%. That leaves you roughly 80% of your roster that's more or less not a star player, but not a guy that you could replace at a moment's notice. These are your role players. These are your, not 80 guys, 80% of your guys. That's going to work out to roughly 30 guys once you take the three specialists out of there, the kicker, punter, and uh, long snapper. So that, that leaves really the bulk of your roster, 30 guys or so that are not stars, but not guys that are going to get cut at just a moment's notice. Mercedes Lewis is definitely one of these guys. He's not going to be one of your top five guys on the Packers, but he's more than just a special teams player. He's got a pretty specific role. He's going to have some valuable contributions in that role, though not really at a full-time capacity, a pretty low cost. And if he hadn't been a semi-notable off-season signing, you might have to think for a second to really know who he is. If you just said his name in a vacuum, you may not immediately bring to mind who Mercedes Lewis is, at least in terms of where the Packers are are thinking about him. These, to me, are what you would call the middle-class guys on your roster. Not the elites, not the, the poor, if you want to use economic terms. Just the guys in the middle, most of your guys. The all-time example of a middle-class player on the roster, or on the Packers, is Don Barkley, I think. Not a star by any means, but he's more valuable than just your average NFL player off the street. He could play two, maybe three positions for the Packers at a pretty decent level. Could fill in as a starter if needed, but that's certainly not what you wanted him to be doing. You just wanted him there for depth to make sure things didn't really go belly up if he had an injury or two. And this is what really sets NFL teams apart. Most of the middle of your roster is going to be guys like Don Barkley and Mercedes Lewis. Guys that aren't going to win games for you by themselves, but having enough of them around puts you in a really good position to win a lot of games because these are the guys taking up quite a few snaps on your roster. So let's turn to this year's roster as we see it right now in late May, almost June of 2018, and talk about five guys that I think are key middle-class players for the Packers. There's more than this, obviously, but these are the five that I think could really play significant, notable roles for the Packers this year. And we start with one that might be a little bit of a surprise. Jamal Williams. Of the Packers running backs, he is the one who is going to do the most of the work for the least amount of credit. He is not as flashy as Aaron Jones. He doesn't really have the gadget appeal of a guy like Ty Montgomery uh, with 88 and playing receiver or running back or whatever he does. But he's going to give you a lot of decent carries, and he's not going to screw up for you. 
What do we mean by those things? Well, consider what he did last year. Only two runs the entire season, and he was healthy for most of it, of more than 15 yards. He only had six runs that went longer than 10 yards. But, as I said, he's not going to screw things up for you, and he's not going to make your life more difficult. He only had five carries for negative yardage all of last season, and he had no fumbles, zero, on 178 touches throughout all of last season, an average of more than 10 touches per game. Only three players in the entire NFL last year had 175 touches or more with zero fumbles. Javorius Allen, Deion Lewis, and Jamal Williams. That's the sort of guy you want to have on your football team. Very solid, going to get the job done and not screw it up for you. Moving right along, Reggie Gilbert, if we switch to the defensive side of the ball, is another key guy in that middle class of Packers players. The Packers really need another pass rusher who's going to step up. And Reggie Gilbert, in my mind, is first in line. If he doesn't get it done this year, it'll have been three years wasted on him. He's the sort of guy the Packers need to get five to seven sacks over the course of the season. Not in a high volume of snaps, just as a sort of situational guy getting sacks, getting regular pressure, and not screwing it up against the run. As Clay Matthews pointed out, the Packers don't exactly have tons of reliable depth behind himself and Nick Perry. So somebody's got to step up and make those snaps worthwhile for the defense. It might as well be Reggie Gilbert. He's got the most valuable experience out of the three guys that I think really um, step up next behind Matthews and Perry. Because also in that group, you've got Vince Beagle and Kyler Fackrell. Those are really the next three guys. I really don't know what to make of Kyler Fackrell. I have a hard time thinking of him as a guy the Packers can count on. But on the other hand, he has gotten fairly consistent pressure when the Packers have put him out there. So what do you do? I think you, <laughs> there are some guys that teams are just hoping someone else will take their place. And that to me has to be the situation with the Packers and Kyler Fackrell. He hasn't shown any kind of consistency that would make you think they can rely on him in any meaningful way. So I think they're hoping that someone else will just do the things they're hoping Fackrell will do. And I think Reggie Gilbert's got to be the first guy that comes to mind for the people in Green Bay. Switching back over to offense, got a question for you. Think about this for a second. Who would you consider the Packers' backup center? Say Corey Lindsley as has happened in the past, twists an ankle or something in training camp, injures his hamstring again, or whatever it was. He had that terrible muscle injury that took months and months and months to heal. Who would be the guy the Packers would turn to in that situation? It might be a guy by the name of Austin Davis. Not the quarterback of the same name, Austin Davis of Duke. Davis is the only other guy other than uh, Corey Lindsley, listed on the Packers roster as a center right now. I think we got a brief glimpse of Justin McCray at center last year, and it did not go well. He's just going to have to play both guard spots and right tackle, so we'll have to limit him to three spots. Kofi Amici has also gotten some consideration at center, but really I think it's it's got to be Davis as the prohibitive favorite right now. And you really need a reliable backup center. The Packers need a guy behind Corey Lindsley. If things go south at that spot, you want a guy you can count on back there. Again, that's probably Don Barkley if we if we go back a couple years. A guy like Davis may never play a snap 
at center this year, but he's an important member of that second tier of players. Now, here's the caveat for Davis, provided he makes the team. We really don't know a whole lot about him. He's a bit of a wild card. He hasn't gotten extensive opportunities in Green Bay. Uh, he's one of those guys I think they, they may classify as a first-year player, though he's technically a rookie. I'm not really really sure I'd have to look at that again. But the Packers need a, a reliable guy who can take snaps behind Corey Lindsley. Davis might be that guy. So think of this one as Davis or whoever the backup center is. It may not be specifically Davis, but the Packers do need somebody behind Corey Lindsley. I think Davis just happens to probably be first in line. Here's a guy we do know a little bit more about, Lane Taylor. He is probably the second most important lineman on the Packers. Definitely not in that top tier of players on the Packers roster. Wouldn't count him in the top five at all. It'd just be silly to put him that high. I don't. I think even Lane Taylor would say, I'm oh, probably not one of the five most important Packers. But behind David Bakhtiari, he can be the most valuable contributor on the offensive line. He certainly was last year, right up there with Corey Lindsley. He can play both guard spots and somehow... He can play left tackle with minimal issues. I'm still trying to get over that from last year. He is the perfect example of not only the importance of developing offensive line depth, but also why it's key to pay attention to undrafted free agent players on the offensive line. He's done it. He made his way up the roster after getting picked up out of Oklahoma State, and he's really never looked back since. And He's done everything the Packers have asked of him. He is probably one of the three best undrafted free agents the Packers picked up during the Ted Thompson era. You've got Tremont Williams up there, you've got Sam Shields up there, and you've got Lane Taylor. And Williams technically wasn't even really an undrafted free agent. He kicked around elsewhere in the league before he ended up in Green Bay, though he was undrafted to start. You really don't think of him the same way as you think of those other undrafted free agent players. Lane Taylor is right up there with the other great moves the Packers have made free agency, and I think he's one of the key players. He's one of the guys, though he may not be a star, that the Packers could least afford to lose. Finally, middle-class man number five is Dean Lowry. Though Mike Daniels is going to be brash and loud, though Kenny Clark is going to have some highlight reel plays where he does some surprisingly athletic things for a guy of his size, though Muhammad Wilkerson is the fun, big off-season addition, Dean Lowry is just as valuable as all of those guys. He's in that class. He's a key part of this defensive line that is a major strength for the Packers this year. He can play every spot on your defensive line, some better than others, admittedly. And he's also been remarkably productive when he's been there as well. Uh, Packers all-around guy. I don't know really how you would classify him or how you would classify himself. Justin Mosqueda on Twitter said, uh, pointed out very rightly and accurately that Dean Lowry has had a very successful or had a very successful year in 2017. He had 13 and a half tackles last season behind the line of scrimmage. That's tackles, tackles for loss and sacks put together. That's right up there with all of the other big name um, guys on the Packers defense. And he's also going to get opportunities. He is a fantastic athlete. Dayton Jones had incredible testing numbers when the Packers selected him out of UCLA. And athletically, he is right there with Dayton Jones. Think of him, I guess, as a white Dayton Jones, if you really want to break it down along racial lines. He's right there. And uh, I think it's important to remember that when you see him play. He's not just one of these quote-unquote try-hard guys. He's a legit athlete, as are everyone 
all of the players in the NFL. Uh, Tryhard is used as a pejorative, really probably shouldn't be, especially when you're talking about NFL players. But he is another guy that the Packers have to account for and have to find opportunities for this season, though he may not get some of the same publicity as some of his teammates on the defensive line. So to recap, why again do we need to think about these guys? These are the guys that really help you win games. Sure, the superstar players show up with the splash plays more often, but you need a whole team of guys that can do their job reliably to really be a successful football team. This is something that I talked about with uh, my Acme Packing Company counterpart, Owen Reese, during the draft. You've really got to find a way every year, all year round, but especially in the draft, to improve your entire football team. You want to draft the guys that are going to be stars at the top, but also you need to fill out your roster with those guys that are going to be among those those 30 guys in the middle, those middle-class guys. you got you got to get your football team better top to bottom. And I keep saying football team, even though I hate that expression. Of course, it's a football team. It's not a basketball team or a golf team. You, you get my point, though. you got to fill out your entire roster with the best possible guys you can, even the guys that aren't going to get the big headlines. And it's important for us as fans, as people who write and talk and think about these sorts of things, to be aware of these guys' contributions as well. While I've got you here, had a fun piece go up today, which was yesterday as you're listening to this, or perhaps even earlier as we explore the magic of time via podcasting, on the Packers scouting staff. But a guy who didn't make it into that list, I think still has a very interesting football life and that is a guy by the name of Danny Mock. Unless you've spent some time poking around in the front office portion of Packers.com, you probably haven't heard this guy's name, but he plays a very interesting uh, and very unsung role for the Packers behind the scene. Mr. Mock is what the Packers call their pro scouting coordinator. In baseball, he'd be something like the traveling secretary or something like that. He's the guy that supports all of the scouts who spend their time in the country looking for players. Mr. Mock has been with the Packers for 21 years. He first joined the Packers in the mid-90s under Ron Wolf and had an interesting journey climbing the roster through the NFL because, as you'll learn via me telling you right now, he's actually in his 38th year in the NFL. He first started as a member of the Atlanta Falcons grounds crew where he worked from 1980 to 1985. During that span, he also started to do a little work on the personnel side, eventually moved over there full time. And from there, it's just been history. He's climbed the ranks as uh, helping with the, the personnel side of football teams throughout the NFL, mainly the Falcons and the Packers, and has been in Green Bay since the mid-90s, helping the scouts do their job. And I thought it was interesting and worthwhile to point out this guy and talk about him a little bit on a podcast where we're talking about those lesser known people who help the Packers become the team that they want to be. No, Nobody who just follows the Packers casually is going to know about Danny Mock, but he helps the guys who find the players who make the Packers great do their jobs. If you can follow that entire sentence, Danny Mock is very important. Everybody who works in the Packers is very important within their roles, and it's important to know and understand what all of those roles are. So consider the work of the humble pro scouting coordinator in Green Bay, Danny Mock, because he's one of the reasons the Packers have had as much success as they have. 
That's all I've got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening to episode 83 of Blue 58. You can find us, as you always do, at thepowersweep.com and on Facebook and on Twitter. Reach out if you'd be so kind via email at thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. Your support means ever so much to us, and you can choose to support us however you would like. But here are a few opportunities. You may donate to our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash thepowersweep. One dollar a month helps us make this entire operation run. You can also buy a fine-looking t-shirt at teespring.com. Click the store link at thepowersweep.com to find your way there and take a look at all of our fine merchandise. And if you'd like to support us for free, give us a review on iTunes. If you would like, no pressure to do so, but it does help other people find the show. We do love to hear from you however way you choose to reach out. And any feedback you give us helps us make this entire operation better and helps all of us become Smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, Smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I am John Meerdink. We will see you next week on Blue 58.